Today's scripture reading is Mark 4, 26 through 34, and can be found on page 839. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we prepare, compare the kingdom of God, or what parables shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word to us, and we pray now that as a seed goes into soil, that you would prepare our hearts uh, with your spirit. You would open our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not. So that your word as it goes out, uh, that it would produce a fruit and that we'd leave here changed people. We ask this all for your glory alone. Amen. As we continue our study in Mark, looking at discipleship in the kingdom of God, we come to some of Jesus' first parables in Mark on the kingdom. And so I want to start by way of talking about a certain number that means a lot to me. I I bet it means a lot to you, but you probably don't know it. It's three minutes and 30 seconds. Maybe not a number, but some a length of time. Three minutes and 30 seconds. Um, This number, this length of time, this liturgy, um, it, 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 it might not be familiar to you, but I argue you have been shaped by this more than you'd probably like to admit. Uh, th- this is not the average of, uh, of Christians in America. This is not their average quiet time in the morning. Um, and I, I think I've said this before. It's not what you're thinking again. It's not my mile time. <laughs> Did you notice my wife laughed hardest at that? Uh, three minutes and 30 seconds was the time that McDonald's restaurants set for their customers total drive-through experience. That is, from the time that you drove onto the lot, if you're going to go to McDonald's and go to the drive-thru, from the time you drove onto that lot, those wheels hit that pavement. To the time you went to the drive-thru, the time you ordered, the time you gave them your money, the time they handed you the food out the window. And by the time that you got off of their property, their goal was to make that all whole experience last no more than three minutes and 30 seconds. I know what you're thinking. That never happened to me. Hey, you can't serve billions and not be amazing. I I, I beg to differ. Sure, there were these times where it didn't. But this was the goal. This was the standard. This is what they went after. And uh, all I can say is it's amazing. They did it. Um, Not all the time. But the reason why I I, I say that um, is because... The entire fast food industry upon this, you know, endeavor 
looked at this and said, this is the standard now. This is the standard. If we're going to begin to compete in the fast food industry, we're going to have to be or do just as well as three minutes and 30 seconds for your total customer experience time. And what it's done for us has been wonderful in some ways. It's offered us convenience. It's offered us efficiency in life, and we love efficiency. Um, And probably most of all, the ability to remain on our own schedule. Um, I've got three kids out at the ball field. i got to get some lunch in them before their next game. And I need to be able to do that at an affordable price. Enter McDonald's. That's McDonald's. And we all love it, and we all benefit from it, right? Whether we've stepped foot on that restaurant pavement or not, Right, everybody else has followed suit and has been impacted by that three minutes and thirty second liturgy. Why am I talking about this? Well, what has also happened, um, you know, with all of its benefits, there's also some negative to it as well. And the reason I'm talking about it is it has actually shaped us in ways that make it difficult for us to understand a passage like the one that we are looking at today. What is a convenience to us, what is a marvel of modern times, what I will thank Jesus for till I die, is actually hurting us when it comes to understanding something very simple about the kingdom of God and how it grows. If Jesus were telling this parable today, he would be speaking into, and I don't think he would disagree, he'd be speaking into a culture where efficiency and instant gratification were virtues, are virtues. And where patience and waiting is not. He would be speaking into a three minute and 30 second culture. I actually found out they kind of did away with that. And they made it a minute and 30 seconds based on your order time. From your order time. In other words, we're getting, we're getting faster. Go test me on that. Go to, for lunch today. But this is the culture he'd be speaking into. And look, I'm just going to admit it right now. I will pull out of the drive through Doesn't matter where it is. If I've sat there longer than 20 seconds, and I know you're the same way, right? Like, this is what it's done, done for us. We are a culture that, that, who's, that, that, that upholds efficiency and instant gratification, and it has ingrained in us this ability to have things on our own schedule, have things on our own time for us to be served. This is the culture that Jesus would be speaking into if he was saying this today, but as it Turns out this is kind of the same culture he was speaking into when he was delivering this parable. See, the people back then, they thought when the kingdom came, when the Messiah showed up, which is Mark's, remember Mark's main, his first, his gospel right there in verse 1, chapter 1. When the Messiah showed up, that the kingdom would be instant. It 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 would be here now. And this is what many believed. And now that Christ has arrived, let's go. This is the expectation he's speaking into. There were others who believed that the, that the kingdom would come in big and powerful ways. Right? The ways of men. This is also the expectation that he is speaking into. And it's to this audience, this expectation, that Jesus gives what a parable about seeds. Growth. How it starts small, but grows steadily. First the blade, then the ear. And like those in Jesus' time, we need to take in the message of these parables about the kingdom for several reasons. One, we need to adjust our three-minute and 30-second expectations. 
that have been instilled in us so that we might begin to have eyes and ears for how God works as his followers. How his kingdom grows. And this means reclaiming in many ways the virtue of patience in our lives, of waiting specifically. But as disciples, excuse me, as disciples, you know, especially if, if you call yourself one of those here this morning, there's another reason why we need to hear these parable, parables about how the kingdom grows. And that is the kingdom grows. And this is really the main thing that I want you to see through our text this morning. The kingdom grows, friends, by something dying. By something dying, like a seed going into the ground or like a messiah going to a cross. And what Jesus is telling his disciples and what he's telling us is that pattern of dying, friends, of being led to places that you do not want to go, of laying down your life for the sake of another, is not just for Jesus, but it's for all who would come after him. It's for all who would follow him. It's for all who would, who, who would want to be disciples of him. Why? Because it's only by something dying that a harvest will come. So to get at that, I want us to look, spend the most of our time in how the kingdom grows through this parable, but then I want us to get to why this kingdom grows, the power behind this kingdom, and then if we have time, what this means for disciples or followers of Jesus. So let's look at this parable, and let's look at how the kingdom grows, that it might might push back against our three-minute and 30-second expectations that we have for not just ourselves, not just for our culture, but probably for God, if we're honest, as well. So first, how the kingdom, kingdom grows there. First, what do we mean, first of all, when we say God's kingdom? And, I, and this is not everything we mean, but for today it'll do. God's kingdom is the place where his rule and his authority is fully known over all creation. It is, where, it, it is both wherever Christians are. Uh, but at the same time, it is understood to be complete when, when Christ returns. It is the already but not yet. That's where we are. So when we talk about his kingdom, there, there's, there's traces of it. it. It's here in some form, but it's not complete. This kingdom, according to the whole, Old Testament, though, would be ushered in by Messiah, by the Christ. And so the expectation for many is Jesus is here. The Christ is here. The Messiah is here. Let's go. Let's go. And it's in that context that Jesus says, here's how my kingdom grows. It's like a seed. And the first thing we note from our parable that I want you to to take special attention to is that the kingdom starts slow, but it grows steadily. The kingdom, the way that it grows is that it starts slow and it grows steadily. It is consistent, you might say, not instant Look at that first parable beginning in verse 26. This parable, by the way, is unique to Mark's gospel only. Um, and in the, verse 26, he says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. When Jesus makes the point that it comes steadily, first the blade, then the ear, he is speaking to the current expectation in that day that thought the kingdom would be instant. 
that when Messiah came, the kingdom would come all at once. And what he is trying to tell them is that's not how my kingdom comes. That's not how this kingdom grows. It is more like a seed. It takes time. Which means Christians or disciples of Jesus must learn then what to cultivate those virtues of patience and waiting. But how difficult, right, for us today, a culture, to to, to cultivate these virtues for those who are about to experience 5G. Technology, though, can actually help us understand what Jesus is really saying in this parable, though. If you've read or heard anything about what 5G will do, I don't understand it, uh, but it sounds incredible. Um, They say it's going to be a game changer. I've heard some things. I'm excited about it. Um, but for, for the point, think about, think about how long it's taken to get to whatever this next thing is, right? You won't believe this. I grew up with a rotary phone. It means I know how to use one. I think it should be put on. I should, I should put that on my resume. Um, but I grew up with that. Um, and, and now I have an iPhone and now we're, we're talking about something called 5g technology starts out slow, doesn't it? And it grows gradually. It is consistent. It's not instant. Germany, uh, much like many other countries in Europe, just moved to ban electric cars. Uh, Germany by 2030. Not electric cars, sorry. The combustion. Automobiles that use gasoline. That's what they're banning. Because of where technology is with electric car. Now, regardless of how sad or happy that makes you, uh, cars were very slow beginning. But grew what? Steadily, didn't they? And like 5G or electric cars that perform even better than any vehicle to date, it's ju- it just arrives. Right? It just shows up. But it requires patience and waiting, doesn't it? It requires a certain eye to see the beauties and the promises and the hope of where we are today to know that we aren't there yet, but it's coming. It's coming. What will come after 5G or the electric car to make them look like dinosaurs? Who knows? But it's coming. Such is the kingdom, friends. It's not instant, but it is consistent. It starts out slow, but it grows steadily. First the blade, then the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is the first thing we learn about how the kingdom grows. It grows, it starts slow, <clears throat> but it grows steadily. The second thing that I want us to note <clears throat> is that the kingdom comes from small beginnings, right? not big movements. Both of these parables, as you noted, are about seeds. They're about seeds uh, that grow into something much bigger. But it's seed growth, nonetheless, that Jesus emphasizes, or small beginnings, small beginnings. Ministry has never not been this way in my life. Um, except for maybe one or two rare moments. But most ministry that we experience, if you um, can reflect on that for a moment, comes from these small beginnings. Um, my first year, uh, my first call out of seminary to be a college pastor um, at the University of Alabama. Uh, first year, um, ready to go, right? Uh, freshman is what it's all about. I plan a, the, the, the big freshman event and six kids show up. And on a campus of 17,000 at the time, that's not good. That's not good. Um, Now, by the time we left, seven years later, we averaged about 50 freshmen every year. We could count on it. 50 every year. Uh, Some would say that's not enough. I might be one of them. 
But God's kingdom comes, what? From small beginnings. Small beginnings. In the second parable, the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus says in verse 31 that this seed, when it is sown, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. That's intentional, right? Some purpose that he's using that as, the, as part of the parable. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Like the mustard seed, the kingdom grows from small beginnings, but then into something unimaginable. That's the picture. Again, Jesus' words cut right across another expectation in that day that the kingdom would come in mighty and powerful ways. Not just all at once, but with power like a sledgehammer. That Messiah would come in and immediately establish himself on Rome's throne, driving out all those Gentiles. This is what the request, even as we get to later in the series in chapter 10, through John, this is what it's all about. Jesus' own disciples, they're walking with them and they're asking, can we sit at your left and your right? This is their expectation. It's an egregious request. And, and, and just as Jesus responds, they don't know what they're asking. But the request comes from a place that expects the promised kingdom to come uh, in a very big and a very powerful way in the way that they want it to. And Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom comes. That's not how it grows. My kingdom is like a seed, the smallest of seeds that goes into the ground. And before you know it, it grows something unimaginable. But it starts out, friends, as something barely noticed. This is what he's saying. Now notice this also. Jesus is not saying his kingdom doesn't have power. Jesus' point is that it will come into this world from small beginnings, not big ones. The kingdom, though, it starts out small like a mustard seed, right? Will grow into something large, which means that the kingdom has enormous potency, as one pastor puts it. I'd say enormous potential. And this should be encouraging to us because it means that the small things that we do out of faithful obedience in our lives, they matter, friends. They matter. It means the kingdom starts out when two or three are committing to meet regularly to pray for one another or for the youth of our church or for the youth of this city or to better love our neighbors. Those moments matter. That's where the kingdom begins. They don't just matter. It's how the kingdom starts, really. Um, A ministry at our church called Super Wednesdays. Uh, Today, uh, it serves really over about 140, I guess. uh, Both students and and volunteers would be a a, a good estimate. 140 students and volunteers come here on Wednesdays um, in six-week periods throughout the fall and the spring. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful ministry. It's an amazing ministry. How did it get started? <clears throat> I actually asked that question. Uh, it's a little more complicated than I thought. <laughs> so you can go ask Steve or Rebecca about that. Um, but here's what became clear is that it started with small beginnings. It started with an idea over here. It started with someone praying over here. But what is clear, what is true, no one ever saw what it is today. Likewise, no one truly knows it's reached to 20 years from now. What will the impact be? The kingdom, friends, starts small, but it carries enormous potency. 
like a mustard seed, Jesus says. This is how God patiently is growing his kingdom. There's much more to be said about this, but the kingdom comes from small beginnings like a seed. Lastly, how the kingdom comes, how it grows, is it grows automatically or by itself. Look at verse 28. Actually, back in 27, we read that he, the farmer, sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And then verse 28, the earth produces by itself. This word by itself is where we get the word automatic. Jesus, again, is cutting across common expectations of the kingdom in that day. Some thought that they could hasten the kingdom by their own efforts, just making it up to them. As one scholar writes, he says, the zealots tried to force the kingdom on stage by revolution. Apocalypticism hoped by careful observations and reckonings to portend the future. And the Pharisees, they believed that the emergence of the kingdom could be midwifed by scrupulous legal observance. The parable of the growing seed warns against Wedding the coming of the kingdom to forecasts, projections, timetables, and strategies. In other words, Jesus is saying flat out that the kingdom grows both with you and without you. The farmer sleeps and he rises. He knows not how. This emphasizes the way the kingdom grows Not only during the day, but when the farmer is active, as one commentary notes, but also by night when he sleeps. (laughs) Do you get that? Not as the result of the farmer's intervention, but automatically. What's all this saying? It's another opportunity to say you matter, but you're not the point. What this is saying is it's not up to you. It's not up to you. And I'd also add your sin can't keep God's kingdom from growing, as we will see later on. But it's not up to you. It really isn't. And friends, here truly truly lies our hope and our rest. It's our hope because it means that the kingdom is not anchored to us. It's not anchored to what we do or don't do. It's anchored to another. It's anchored to Jesus, the Messiah. It's our rest then because we know it's certain. Both in our sleeping and in our rising, it grows by itself like a seed. Look, Jesus started, let's just think about it like this. Jesus started this whole thing with 12 men, right? 12 uneducated nobodies. Where is the church today? To say that the church has grown steady, has been consistent. To say that the church has been automatic even. To say that the church has started small, but has grown into something unimaginable. From that standpoint, might be the most understatement, biggest understatement of the year. This is how his kingdom grows. It grows patiently. The kingdom starts slow and it grows steadily. It comes from very small beginnings and it grows automatically or by itself. But as we said earlier, the kingdom grows by something dying. 
by something dying. And as any farmer in Jesus' day would know, it's the seed that goes into the ground that must die in order for a harvest to come. And for Jesus, this gets then to the heart of his message about the kingdom and ultimately why it grows in the first place. And that's where I want to turn to next. Why does the kingdom grow? Why does it grow by itself? Why does it grow steadily? Why does it grow at all? Because like a seed, Jesus will go into the ground and he will die so that a harvest might come. There's an interesting verse here in John chapter 12. Don't turn there, just listen. John chapter 12, verse 24, if you're taking notes. Where Jesus says this, this is right before we move into 13, which is the upper room discourse. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. But whoever hates his life for my sake will keep it. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus has been going around and he's been telling these stories about how the kingdom comes. It comes like a seed in the soil and then produces a large fruit. And Jesus is now applying this to himself before he goes what? To the cross. To die. To be buried in the ground. Because what? Unless a seed is buried in the ground and dies, a harvest doesn't. Jesus is talking about himself here. Therefore, it is his death and it is his resurrection that not only marks the beginning of the kingdom, but it also promises its harvest, friends. He is why the kingdom grows and will continue to grow until the harvest is ready. Because he, like a seed, was buried in the ground, but with his resurrection, new life. In other words, something has to die. Something has to die. The resurrection will always tell us the harvest is coming. We're going to celebrate Easter soon. It should tell us, it should remind us that the harvest is coming. There is no putting this genie, as it were, back in the bottle. It is started and it is happening all around us. No matter how good or how bad things look outside for you, no matter what tunnel of despair that you find yourself in, no matter how much or how little you even serve the kingdom. It's coming. As Isaiah 64 says, God has ordained what no ear has perceived, no eye has seen. It's coming, but something had to die to make this possible. And this is why the kingdom grows. Jesus' love for you. He dies so that a harvest might come. Okay, great. What does this mean then for us? For disciples or for followers of Jesus or just as important for those considering Christianity this moment, what it means for us, and I wouldn't consider this a sales pitch, is we must begin to see and we must become a seed for a broken and hurting world that needs redemption. 
And what that means then is that we must become that seed that's willing to go into the ground and die for the sake of other people so that a harvest might come. See, remember, the kingdom grows by something dying. When Jesus says that a seed must be buried and die, he was not just talking about his own life. Let's hear that, please. When Jesus was talking about himself in John 12, he was not just talking about his own life. Rather, he was setting the pattern for ours and for his disciples in that moment. Which means that for those that would follow Jesus, the way of the kingdom is a cross. So it's not a sales pitch. Do you know what you're signing up for? Do you know what you claim when you, when you, when you say that you're a Christian? When you want to be discipled? When you want to be a follower of Jesus? Do you know what you're signing up for? The pattern of that is death, according to Jesus. The way of the kingdom is a cross, but your hope and my hope is that this, for any of this, is that your king has gone before you already. And the first thing this means then is that we can begin to change our expectations for God and his kingdom. This is not a kingdom that comes instantly, friends, is it? I wish it was. I do. It's not a kingdom that comes conditionally either. And I'm growing ever more thankful for that. It's not a kingdom that's on our schedules either. It is not a kingdom that is here to serve us in three minutes and 30 seconds. We are here to serve the kingdom. And how are we going to do that as disciples of his? And I'll give you one, 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 one thing to think about in your small groups tonight for sure. Primarily, the way that we serve the kingdom as disciples of Jesus it's by loving others the way that Jesus loved us. And that's sacrificially, which means it's patiently. Listen to James 5, 7 here. <clears throat> Incredible, just seeing scripture tied together as one thing. James says this, be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. And so just by way of application to kind of work through this again, loving as Jesus has loved us looks then like being consistent in the way that God's kingdom grows and the way that he has loved us with someone when it seems like it's a waste of your time or that you could be doing something so much more productive with your life or your time at this moment. So many more important things. And so to love consistently actually then requires what? You to die in that moment to your agenda. To your self-importance. And when we do that, what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom grows. The kingdom grows. Loving as Jesus has loved us looks like waiting for God to grow something in his time and not ours. That's hard. Consumerism is designed to serve us, is it not? I'm the consumer. Well, the kingdom is designed to serve others. The lost, the marginalized, the needy, the far off, the broken. To do so then will require us to die of our schedules. Wanting the kingdom on our time and on our dime. The cross is the pattern for our lives. 
Loving as Jesus has loved us, lastly, looks like offering unconditional. And I say unconditional because it's, it's, it's just it's about the same as automatic, isn't it? <laughs> offering un- unconditional automatic love to those that don't deserve it. You will love many people, but what, what the kingdom is calling us to do is also love those people unconditionally that, that you don't think deserve your love. But here's the good news. The kingdom's full of people that don't deserve it. Right? Amen to that. Which means we are going to have to die again in ways that we think we are either owed something or to our preferences altogether The kingdom's branches become a place of nesting for the many, which means as followers of Jesus, we are to withhold our love from no one. And that includes those like us and not like us. So when we follow the Savior, when we follow this King, when we love sacrificially and patiently the way that he has loved us, when we begin to lay our lives down for others, the kingdom grows. The kingdom grows. This is how God grows his kingdom. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life or gives it away for my sake will keep it. Something must die in order for the harvest to come, friends. And so a few questions to take with you. What expectations of or for how the kingdom grows need to change for you this morning? What expectations for how this kingdom comes about need to change for you this morning? How can cultivating the virtue of of patience help you see God's kingdom to begin with? But also to help you work towards it with with, with gladness and with hope, knowing what? That a harvest is coming. Where does the pattern of Jesus' cross of dying to self need to take shape in your life towards others? So that what? A harvest might come. Those are heavy questions. I get it. But our hope and even considering, even attempting to move towards these questions, right? Is that we follow a king that has already done this for us. A king who looked at you and said, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to the cross anyway. I will be patient with you. I will be consistent. My love is unconditional for you. You want to love like this? You want to, you want to bring the kingdom? This isn't the only way you're going to be able to do it. It's by seeing the love of Christ who has gone ahead for you to do this for you people who did not deserve it. Who says, trust me, my love is automatic. That's what he says to you this morning. And until you're convinced of that, until you hear that, until you believe that that is true, you will not give yourself as a follower of this king to this kingdom. And I would go ahead as far to say, don't even try. For the sake of all Christendom, don't try. And this is why Mark's gospel, to come full circle, is exactly what people needed when they were faced with Nero's persecution, if you remember from our introduction. Kind of scratched my head when we got to that, didn't we? What kept them more than anything was knowing that they were loved by this king. And as a result, they were happy to give their lives over as followers of Jesus, no matter where it took them, no matter what it cost. It is to say, tell me the story over and over and over again of this Jesus who bled for me type of convincing. And maybe some of us need to hear that again this morning. 
so that we might die in the ways that we need to die for the kingdom to come. Tell me the story of the Savior. Because once that seed, and it must, that seed must enter our hearts as followers of Christ. Because when it does, as it did for Christians in the first century, and as it's done for Christians over the ages, you are then free to love and to lay your life down for others. So that a harvest might come. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words to us. Um, they're not easy. There's, there's much fear behind these. And I pray that as we consider whether it's our expectations for the kingdom, as we consider, you know, is your kingdom even here? Are you growing it? Are, did, did the resurre- is the resurrection true? Or maybe even as we contemplate the areas in our lives where you are calling us to lay down our authority, our control, our power, to die for the sake of another so that a harvest might come, that we might, might do nothing first but look at you and your cross and to see the way that you have done this for us already. People who do not deserve this, but you are glad to do it anyways. Would that be our starter, our motivation for understanding how the kingdom grows? And may that be the source of all of our hope as we work for this, this kingdom as followers of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.